I want to read some verses from Psalm number 8. At least that's where we'll begin. And we could spend a lot more time on this, but I'm deliberately leaving some of this out. So um, let's go to verse 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, stars which you have ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, the son of man that thou dost care for him, yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty, thou dost make him to rule over the works of their hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet. Put that on hold and go to Psalm 144 um, and verse 3. O Lord, O I am, what is man that thou dost take knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou dost think of him? Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And I won't read it, but in, in Job chapter 7, 17, he says much the same thing. They, I'm fascinated with it because it is written by these persons who were writing the Psalms. And in the middle of their seeing the glory, the majesty, the wonder of God, they suddenly realize all of this turned toward us, and then they burst out with a question that's all is a combination of confusion and amazement it's you you could and some of the translations that are out there have caught that in their translation so one of them says why is it that you bother with us and that's that really captures what he's saying here what is man that you're mindful of him he doesn't say that as a deep theological statement. He's rather saying, how come you give us a second thought? I mean, your majesty, and we're but specks in your cosmos. Um, well, why do you concern yourself with us? This is very confusing to me. You even notice us, says another one. Why do you give such importance to us? Why do you give such attention to us? Right, that's that's the question, and if you haven't asked the question, then maybe what I'm going to say will not hit you as hard. But anyone, I believe, at some point has looked in the mirror. His mirror was the whole universe, and I remember very vividly when I was in, in um, the Africas, there, you know, a thousand miles from civilization, no human light source and, and there at night alone in the jungle it seems that an, another world or worlds has descended upon the top of the trees and you understand why it's called the milky way as, as it's like spilt milk across the sky and, and to see there the southern cross and almost reach up and touch the stars and well that's what this chap was doing he said i consider the moon the stars the sun his mirror was looking up and then he says, me? You, 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 you concern yourself with me? You bother with me? What is man? And it's a question of confusion as well as amazement. Maybe the confusion moves to amazement. 
that you do. I'm, I'm not making it up. You do concern yourself with that. You do notice. You give us your complete attention. And they use these words here, um, here in Psalm 8, which is sort of our anchor. He, he says, um, why do you take thought of him? Why do you care for him? Quite frankly, they're not the best translations. I'm sorry. But um, the word there that we translate in your older versions, it says, why are you mindful of him? Or this, the New American Standard, says, why do you think of him, take thought of him? I, I suppose, yeah, I mean, it's there. But the word there uh, that we translate take thought, the exact word in the Hebrew no doubt about it, no ifs and buts. The word is remember. Why do you remember him? And that, if you've been around us for a while, you know that's one of the big words. Um, remember, it mean, it doesn't, you, you understand, it's not our Western remembrance, which is sending a mind back into the foggy past to try and reconstruct it and, and somehow bring it back to mind. That's our Western way. But in the Bible, the word is very different. It almost means a time warp. It, it almost means that I'm there and it is here. And so we're not trying to go back to it. Rather, we're bringing the past into the immediate presence and we are experiencing its energies and powers all over again. That is the meaning of the word in, in the Bible. And, and that's the word here. It says, you remember me, meaning that I am before your eyes. We are face to face. I'm never out of your sight. I'm never out of your memory. You remember me. And with remembrance comes um, the ideas then of focused upon. It's, it's not you're just a vague blur. Uh, you, you, the, the focus of God is upon me. I am face to face with God and his focus is upon me. One could almost push it to say he's obsessed with us. Um, one translation actually says he's infatuated with us. And I, yeah, it's there that if, if I'm face to face and he won't take his eyes off me, eyes of love and delight, then I could say he's obsessed. I, I could say that we are his number one interest in all of creation. And of course, the word remember has usually not always, but usually an attachment to a memorial. Because even as it, this thing that you're remembering, you know, the person is immediate present to you, you want it to be present to others. And so there's a memorial built. And, um, and so the memorial is of this one that is so precious to him that he now memorializes that. And in, in Bible days, there would usually be a recitation of all that this person was and had done. And I know in today's religious world, it's very hard to think that God delights over you, would memorialize you, and, and proudly speak of you. But that's what this is saying. It's no wonder the psalmist is amazed, confused at the same time. But then he says, 
Um, not only that, but you take care for him. And that's okay. It does sort of mean that. But the actual word used there is much more fun, shall I say. Um, because it says that you inspect him. We are inspected. Um, just a very much as an aside, um, being a bishop uh, brings in the word episcopal or episcopate, which is the jurisdiction of the bishop. And that is a Greek word, episcopate. And that is that word that's mentioned here. So a bishop is someone who inspects, um, visits and inspects, not, not as um, someone that is looking for trouble, but more the inspection of love and care, hence that translation here, the care that I'm inspecting. It's the inspection um, idea when Jesus said, you are the branches, I'm the vine. My father is the husbandman or the farmer. What does a vine farmer do to the vines? He inspects them daily to make sure they're lifted up from the ground, be sure that they're under the sun to bring forth and so on. Um, that's the inspection here. It's the inspection that the ancient shepherd would have with the sheep every time it entered the sheepfold at night. He would run his hands all over the sheep and, and find for the cuts and the bruises and the burrs. That's the inspection. He is saying, I'm not only your delight, but you are active in my life, actually putting your hands on me and becoming one with my pain and my sorrow, my grief, my confusion, and you're, you're my healer. You are the one who inspects me with a view to caring for me. Ultimate involvement. But then in Psalm 144, he uses other words. He says the word knowledge. He says, you take knowledge of me. Now that is a big word in the Old Testament. If you're a Hebrew, anything about Hebrew, the word is yada. And it means not to know about. In fact, this word here forbids knowing about. It forbids all rumors. It forbids all hearsay. This word means that you know by personal involvement. It means that you actually are involved, observe, experience the person or the event. Therefore, you know, but you know by a union with it. You, you understand? In fact, the most uh, common use of the word um, in terms of people in the Bible is to describe the marriage relationship. That's amazing. Uh, and in your old Bibles, they translate it just like that. The one I always give is simpler, Adam and Eve. It says, Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and brought forth a son. And so that's this word. It is to know someone, know them intimately, know them personally, know by experience, know by observation, know because you're there. And it says here that that's how God knows us. He doesn't know about us. He's not the religious God who is remote in the sky and simply knows what us wretched creatures are doing. 
He says he is one to one with us, that he looks us each in the eye and he knows us intimately and personally. He knows us firsthand and it's going on right now. So it, it means he's our familiar friend, at least. That's the lowest you could say. Um, better yet, he's our kinsman, which is a word used in the scripture. He's a kinsman. He's This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who couldn't be closer. Then that Psalm 144 goes on to say, think of us. Only this is different to what it is here. The word think there means to weave thoughts together. Actually, it was used to describe actually weaving cloth. But when it's thinking, it's weaving thoughts. That is, meditation is involved. It's the production of a plan. You put thoughts together and out comes a plan. It means imagination as you bring things into uh, focus. It means to bring forth an intention. And we've got it all worked out. It's a plan. It's a blueprint. It's a design. And he says, you think of us. You, you, oh God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you have woven together your thoughts of love. And it's, I'm in the middle of that. No wonder David in another Psalm 139, he's thinking of the same thing. And he says, oh, oh God, how precious are your thoughts to me or about me? How vast is the sum of your thoughts? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. He says, you never stop thinking about me. And no wonder he says, what is man? What is man? Mankind, that God, the creator, is obsessed with us infatuated with us yes i'll use those words that we're ever before him never out of his mind why well actually it takes us to the new testament to find out why um one of the most important passages of scripture in the new testament is ephesians 1 unfortunately um most people have hardly read it let alone, but let me, um, verse 3 of Ephesians 1, and he just explodes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And notice just for the moment, in Christ. Then he goes on in verse 4, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And the word foundation there is better understood as the fall of the world. He's saying this is all before Adam. It's all before Adam. And in fact, before the foundation of the world. And this choosing was that we should be holy, blameless, or innocent before him 
in love. He predestined us. Predestined us to the adoption as sons. And that's not bringing a stranger into the family. This is adoption as understood in the biblical world, which um, would be place, it's really placing of a son or uh, coming of age where it is declared to the whole town, village, whatever, this is my son. And up until then, he's just been a child in the nursery and looked after by nannies and whatever. But now the father with pride says, this is my son, and is to be recognized as such. It was called the adoption or the placing of a son. And so he said he predestined us to be declared publicly as his sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And that was all in line according to the kind intention of his will, which was all to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. I don't know if you got anything there, but it is saying before Adam fell. Now that's big right there. Because most of us have been raised to believe that all this that we call the gospel and the total involvement of Jesus with us is to fix Adam's fall. Hear me carefully. Jesus did not come to fix Adam's fall. He was coming anyway to accomplish what this is about. He is saying that before the fall of Adam, in the mind of God, in the council of the Trinity, before the very beginnings of creation, there was an intention. There was a purpose, a plan that he calls here the will. That is, he's saying there is no chance. I heard it on public radio a little bit ago where somebody that they thought had reason to speak said that we, mankind, and I quote him, he said, we are nothing more than the roll of a dice on a Las Vegas table, and it came up sixes. So, by the roll of a cosmic dice, by, I won't go there, it's just not worth my time, that we are total chance you are here just by some cosmic luck that this piece of mud hit that piece of mud and look who came out of it. Um, look in the face of a chimpanzee and says, Grandpa, it's, um, come on. No, it says before anything was, before any creation and before man had screwed anything up, there was a blueprint, a purpose, an intention. And that intention, and that's why I underscored it, was in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And you could, um, if you do that sort of thing, go through your Bible and underline every time in that chapter where it says, in Christ, in the beloved, through Christ. He is the center of this plan 
this incredible purpose. And I say it again because I know some have never considered it. Jesus did not come simply to set Adam right. Jesus is not the first responder to the human condition. Jesus is not merely the EMS with the necessary band-aids for poor Adam. Um, now, Now just think, because so many people believe that, then that means, I mean, try and get me straight here, that means if Jesus only came to fix sin, and I guess in that thinking that's what he did on the cross, and then he left, of course, sure. Just like any good ambulance does, just off it goes, that's it. Because there was no involvement before the fall, apparently. So when it's fixed, there'll be no involvement afterward. In fact, you're so fallen when there's been an accident, I doubt you even know the name of the chap who's helping you up. But according to this, there is an involvement with Jesus from before you are born. And hear me, hear me, when we speak of union with Christ, people say that's deeper life. That's rubbish. That's first life. That's what it's all about. That's where it all begins. Right there. I'm having trouble hearing you. That was Siri trying to join our meeting. Yeah. Um, the, the fact is, if, if Jesus is left out before the fall, then he's really kind of just gone after the fixing of it, which means that we are, well, what are we here for? And that's an honest question. I'm not going anywhere with it. If, if Jesus wasn't around before the fall, if he wasn't needed, then what are we here for? What's going on? Is it? that we were just meant to live a moral life. That's what it looks like, because there's nothing else to do except be, be good and, and, you know, do, do your proper thing. Whereas what this is saying, you cannot think of being a human being without a relationship of union to Jesus Christ. That's big. That means I didn't wake up one day and decide to accept him into my heart. I couldn't be a human being, but for involvement of union with Jesus Christ. I've been involved with him since before my birth. I've been involved with him because that was part of the thinking, the weaving of the purposes and plans of God. So it says that we are chosen we're chosen, we're not here. Let me say it again, you're not here by accident. You may have been conceived in the back of a car, you might have been born in a garage, but you're not an accident. You are here by divine choice, however you got here. You're here by choice. But it's not a choice just about you. It is that Jesus is the chosen one that you should be in him, united to him, and that is where you would find your destiny and your your design. Jesus is the design. And so when we say Christ, you are in Christ, 
That needs definition, especially in today's world. The word Christ can mean just about anything you want. Um, people have taken that word totally outside of the Bible and make it a sort of cosmic force. Christ. Well, first of all, who is he? Because Christ is there with the Father before creation. And so when we say the word Christ, you are saying, first of all, he is the Father's Son. And when we say that, we mean of the same being as the Father. Have you ever considered that before, that Jesus is of the same being, the same essence as the Father? The Father is God, but Jesus is God. And not a separate God, but a God inside of God. He is one with the Father and the Spirit. And so we are looking at the, 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 in, the God who would become incarnate. Christ is speaking of he is chosen to join the human race. He's chosen to actually become one of us and be anointed with the Holy Spirit with us, organically joined to us. And it was this one who would join us right from the very beginning by being the creator. All things would be created through him, the Christ. And so he's our creator, but in creating us, he didn't say, well, I'll see you on judgment day. That's called deism. It means there is a God. He's up, gone. He made you. He's left you. And he'll see you when he judges you. Um, Glenn Beck preaches that on his um, TV program. Um, I heard him actually say it. God made you. And now, well, we've got to do our best to do what he wants because we're going to meet him on judgment day. That's deism. No, when God created us and created us in Christ Jesus, it says in Colossians 1.15 that in him all things consist. That is, he didn't only make us. He now is the glue who holds us together. He relates to every atom of his creation, but specifically us. And so that's what I say. When you were born... When you were conceived in your mother's womb, you were being knit together by the Creator. You at this moment are holding together through the very creative act of, of Jesus. So did you get all of that? When I say the Christ, I mean he is God of God. He is God the Son. He is of one being with the Father. But he is chosen to be the one who shall create us and thus upholds us, every atom of us. And he is chosen to be the one in whom this whole design of our being adopted as sons and brought into the family of God takes place. And it all takes place before the foundation of the world. So it's not something that takes place down the road. This is who a human is. I say again, look in the mirror, say, what is man? Who am I? 
that no wonder we are the obsession of God. Creatures, derived creatures, yet we're in Christ Jesus from the very conception in the mind of God so that we're never known apart from our relationship to Jesus. Um, in fact, it takes John chapter 14 and verse 20 to really get to the heart of this. Uh, Jesus comes and reveals why he's there. And as I've said, he didn't come just to fix sin. That just had to be done. But he said, the reason I'm here, and maybe John 14, 20 is the verse of all verses, <coughs> like Ephesians 1. He said, in that day, which is the day after he has risen from the dead, he said, you will know that I am in the Father. That is, standing before us, is the incarnate son. He's the God who has become one of us. But he says, understand, I'm one of you. You're touching me. I'm here. But at the same self moment, I am one with the Father. And on that day, you'll know it. I am in the Father, not a prophet, not just a good man, not just the greatest teacher, none of that stuff. He says, I am God from God. I am one with the Father, though I sit before you, organically one with you. And he says, in that day, when you know that, you'll also know that you are in me, as I am in the Father, so you are in me. Which means he is saying, you have this organic relationship to me, as I, who am one with the Father, now have shared totally in your humanity. I've got news for you. You are now sharing totally in who I am. And so he stands before us as the divine human. And now he says, you, because you're joined to me, share with me human divine. It takes my breath away what he's saying that we are sons we we are actually i mean look in the mirror this isn't deeper life this is 101 this is the plan this is the blueprint that in jesus because of jesus in union with him we are sons of god and and that's not speaking necessarily male jesus is the son and joined into him we are the sons we we stand before God the Father and say, Abba, Daddy, we are inside the divine family in Christ, joined in him. And what is the first sign of that is that you love one another as I loved you. God is love. Therefore, if we're one with him, we walk this world in a divine love, not only loved but loving, not only served by God but serving. And also, he said, you'll do the same works of power, but it shall arise out of love. Huh. Religion has taught us that everything that Jesus came to do is about destination. Ask any evangelical believer what salvation is, they will say, I go to heaven when I die. 
Okay, destination. That's about it. Whereas what we're saying here, it's all about relationship, not destination. You are created for relationship of a union, a one inside of one without becoming the other. You're inside of Jesus, but you don't become Jesus. He's inside of you. He doesn't become you, and yet you are one. Therefore, you are actually partaking of his divine love life, and he actually is living in you and participating in your humanity. Relationship. That's what it's about. And believe me, in the heart of every person, there is a longing for that. And that's why people, having gone through all their decisions in church, are still restless. Because they're not looking for a destination, really. They've been scared into it, but they're not. They're looking for relationship. That's what it's about. And what is God? It defines God. God refuses to be God without us. That's the gospel. It's the gospel. And it is so real that again in the New Testament, Paul defines it as I live, yet it is not I, it is Christ who lives in me. Now let that go through around your head. That's what it is to be human. That is not icing on the cake. That is not deeper life. That is simply what it means to be human. He said, such a union that I live, yet it is not I, it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Or again, he said in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. That's it. Joined dynamically. So we never think of mankind without thinking in terms of Christ. It's in him I have been created. It's him who is my life. That's what I was intended to be, this magnificent creature in Christ and Christ in me. That's grace. Oh, I'm sorry. We were taught that grace what is it? Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me? You're, yes, yes, of course, yes. But you've got to come back to the beginning. There you're back at Adam again and said, well, Adam fell. Adam's this wretch. And now we've, we've got to have the grace of God to save us. No, this is grace. Before the foundation of the world, God chose you in Christ Jesus, to walk before him face to face in love. And you didn't do anything to earn that. It happened before you could even do good or bad. It's the gift of being alive. That's grace. And that's why it says in John that Jesus is the fullness of grace. Because that's where it all begins. You were, or you could put it like this, you were given to Jesus before you were born. And Jesus locked himself into you before you were born. That's what it's saying. 
And if you noticed, all of that is pepper and salt all the way through Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, the delight of God. There's a riotous, this wasn't some awful business meeting that took place before creation. This is God where joy is bursting out of the Holy Trinity, reaching even to us, the created. He's beside himself with joy that he's got you included into the family. And there it is. So at birth, you belong. At birth, you are included. At birth, you are accepted. At birth, you are precious. And the Father calls you son and loves you the same way as he loves Jesus. Because you are in him and he's in you, you're one. So then, of course, what what about sin? I know I keep on saying it's not about Adam. What about sin? Well, that came afterward. The word sin, well, it's pretty well in Romans 3.23 where it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The essence of the word sin means to lose altitude. Um you're you're flying at forty thousand feet, and suddenly you're 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 rapidly losing altitude, and that's a nasty feeling, believe me. Um, when the oxygen things come down, and but that's that's the meaning of the word sin. Exactly, it's to lose altitude, and, and you're now going to an inferior position called a crash. <laughs> that that that's the meaning of the word. You've fallen short of the glory of God. And what is the glory of God but the realization, my understanding, my perception of the love of God, his opinion toward me. Um, that makes sin astounding. Uh, it, it says, does not in any way cheapen sin. It makes sin all the more unbelievable. Sin is losing this height, this glory that I am created to have and know. Um, I, I'm, I'm losing it. Why, and why on earth would I lose it? You see, the lie, the great lie, what was the call to independence? It says, you shall be God's. Now, I, I've said many times before that any temptation has got to have enough truth in it. Uh, lies have to have enough truth to be believable. Well, you can't explain to me why that was a, a, a very good temptation. I mean, you have to give Satan A plus for subtlety um, when he said you should be his guards. Why was that such a good <laughs> temptation that's not the word to use such an effective temptation because there was truth there you see have you heard me in the last minutes you were created you were conceived in the mind of god to join the family of god and participate in his agape love deity Yes, it would be you you were created to be gods, gods by grace, gods by sheer gift. 
God's because you're in Christ, the Son of God. So when Satan came and says, you shall be as God's, why did that stick? Why, why, why could that even be a temptation? Because what Satan was saying, have you noticed that everything you have and do was his decision? He made all the decisions. He made the decision before you were born. He made the intention. Isn't it about time you made a decision by yourself? Wouldn't that be fun? You make a decision. And, you know, the, yes, you're, you're God's, but you're God's because of Christ. You're God's because you're joined to Christ. Well, why, why not think of this, that you could be God's without him? Oy vey. To make a decision to be a God without being in Christ. What an idea. Be my own person. Make my own choices. You ever thought of that? And that, of course, takes in all of New Age today. Because you'll hear them talk about us being gods, but not in Christ. Oh, no. Not in Christ. It's um, completely you, 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 your God. No, that was the essence of the lie. You be God without Christ. Be God without being deriving your life from the Creator Father. It's interesting when Eve was trying to explain why she had done what she did. When, when she's called before the Holy Trinity, what have you done? And she said, and in your Bibles it says, the serpent beguiled me. But if you read in Young's literal translation, which I've often pushed to you, it says, the serpent caused me to forget. And that is the word opposite to remember. And it is um, therefore not with us, forgetting is amnesia. And um, no, it's not that. This word forget is the opposite of that Hebrew word remember. And so it means an intentional counting as irrelevant that something I'm forgetting. Do, do you get that? You're looking back and saying, well, that's totally irrelevant to this moment. I just leave it be back in the past where it belongs. Or you could say, I'm saying it doesn't count. It doesn't count for anything in this moment I find myself in. It's got no place. It's got no meaning in the decisions I'm having to make now. So please just leave it be. That is, you can tell me about God making his decision about me, about his intention for me, about placing me in Christ before. Well, that, that's beautiful. Leave it be. That's irrelevant. We're making a decision now about this word that the serpent said to us. And so it was a conscious decision to reject the choice of the Holy Trinity that Christ should be our very life. It means then I reject the grace of God. Who, who needs grace when I'm making decisions here? I, I reject the love of God because I want to be my own man. And the fall, sin, says my decision overrides God's decision about me. 
Did you get that? So important in today's world. The fall said, my decision overrides the Trinity's decision about me. My decision, my choices override God's choice concerning me in placing me in his chosen one, the Son of God. And so we we think it's on our plate whether we want him or not, or whether we shall reject him or not and choose to be separate. So man chose to be separate, independent, which means he chose to be cut loose from the Holy Trinity. Well, of course, let's get it straight. Man's choice can never override God's choice. The decisions we make about God does not change God one iota. Does that make sense? So they say we're cutting loose from the Trinity. We're cutting, we're, we're taking up anchor. We're, we're off on a journey into the unknown. Well, I'm glad that's what you think, but it was a lie, wasn't it? Because you can't override God's choice. God's choice of love concerning you is God's choice. And if you really think that you are God's, then I suppose you think that you can override this God's choice. But you can't. And so they cut loose. They went adrift. But it was adrift in the darkness of lies. What is darkness when it's talked about in the Bible? Well, what is light? Light is, according to John chapter 1, that... Jesus, Son of God, the Christ, joined to us face to face with the Father. We are in him. He is in us. And we are face to face with the Father, beloved by the Father, who joins us with the Son in the Holy Spirit. Now there's light. You want to know what life is about? Switch on the lights. This is what it's about. Christ in you, you in Christ. That's what it's about. What's darkness? You don't know that. Isn't it simple? I'm going to make up, I'm going to invent what life means. I mean, I'm on my own now, so I can make up what life means. I don't need a compass, I don't need a map, but I certainly don't need a plan and design made before the foundation of the world. I'm on my own. But of course, I never find out then who I am. I'm just left with this ache inside for union, and I try to find it within my human relationships, but it doesn't do it. There's this ache. It's a toothache that won't go away, this longing. And it's found in every religion, this cry for union. That's what it is. And, and, And we're there in the darkness, It's a place of fear and anxiety because I know, I know I haven't found it. And and so it it, it comes like bubbles up to the surface of a swamp where it says, I am not, I have not, I cannot. It's that poverty of spirit. 
Well, what's God going to do about this? When his beloved, his most precious, has made a choice to cut loose into the darkness. And even though they can't cut loose because they are created in Christ Jesus, but for all that in their mind and in their very self, they're in total darkness and fleeing in that darkness. What shall God do? That's the biggest question. I was raised to believe that he got super mad and lit the first flames of hell, got it all ready for us. Whereas if I go to the scripture, I, I find, well, number one, the word lost. See, if I'm looking at it from being the one lost, lost is scary. Lost is, I am not. I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I came from. I'm lost. Terrifying. Anxiety. Religious anxiety is the worst of all. But from the other side, if, if God, Father, Son, and Spirit has this kind of relationship to you that I've described, then he is the one who has lost you. And from that side of the word lost, what does the word lost mean? It means there's an ache in my heart because the lost one is missing. And the lost one is greatly wanted, desired. You could say there's an empty space where they should be, but they're not. It, it, it means that they are in fact, I was going to say they are worth finding. But the fact is, if you notice, when someone is lost, their worth goes up. Uh, you didn't know how precious that pen was to you until you lost it. Then it became move the whole house to find it. Um, if, if a human being is lost, then we employ um, whole villages to look for them. We employ the entire National Guard to go out. Because they're precious. They're missed. There's an empty space. And, and, and lost doesn't mean that you, it's not yours anymore. You wouldn't say it's lost if it wasn't yours. Yet you follow. I can't lose your pen. I might, I might be the one who lost it, but you're the one who now says, I lost it. Um, no. Can you, can you understand this? If a thing is lost, that means it's owned by somebody. It couldn't be lost otherwise. A wild dog can never get lost. Have you thought of that? No. So it means... The, the person who is in the deepest darkness is still owned by the Father, is still within Christ. <clears throat> hey, when does a thief own what he stole? Can't. Still the property of the owner. Satan stole man's heart away into the darkness, but... The Father still owns us. We're still owned in Christ. That's amazing. That's why when Jesus told the stories, 
He says, my sheep is lost. The woman lost her coin. When she said, I found my coin. And the father said, you are my son. And did you notice to the elder brother, who's of course the bad guy in the parables. But you remember that? The younger brother, you are my son. Well, I can only imagine what I thought the father was going to say to the elder brother. Instead, he's even more tender. In the Greek, anyway, it says, my dear little boy, my dear little boy, my foot. Look at, look at what he's just said. What was he doing? You beat the kid. No, the father says, you're still mine. You can spit in my face. You can curse my name, but you're mine. I'm your father and I've come to get you. That puts a different face on evangelism, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> As I say, um, man's decision has not affected God. I, I know that upsets a lot of people. But of course, anyone who really gets upset about it, you're right in line with the fall. That's exactly how Adam and Eve and Satan counseled together. Your decision matters. And love looked and wept and said, it doesn't matter. I'm coming after you. You're mine. Love's unearth unearthly love who knows us as, as he knows us. So we, we wrecked everything. He, he knows us as we really are, and that's how he sees us. I think I've told you the story, uh, without telling the whole story, that there was a violin, and, and um, it was in Africa, I think, when I saw this, but, uh, and it had been beaten to nothing. They were using it for anything but a violin. It, all its strings were broken. It was smashed in every way, long since the varnish had gone. And the person with me looked at it and actually began to weep. At least he really teared up. And I I mean, to me, that was a, yeah, broken violin, I guess. But he was a master violinist. And he knew that was the name I forget right now, but the most, that's the one, Stradivarius. Um, and he said, I, I know, I know that, you can't recognize it, but I know that violin. And he took it and he says, I'm going to restore this. Because he said, all I can see is what it really is. Does that make any sense? That we are... By our own doing, we're broken to pieces. By our own doing, we've created a hell inside of us. And what does the Father do but weep the tears of the blood of Jesus and say, I know who you are. You are my son. You don't smell like it. You don't look like it. But you are my son. And I'm going to restore you. Put on the best robe. Put shoes on his feet because I know who you are. And you don't even know who you are. He's blubbering about, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as a hired servant and love says, shut up, let me hug you. God knows who you are. It's religion that says, grovel, whine, moan, say I'm unworthy. 
Father cuts right through it in Jesus and hugs us. Says, you're my son. As that's God's resource. He says, uh, the pearl merchant, you remember that one? The pearl merchant went to the ends of the earth to find the one pearl of great price. Why does he do that? Because he will not be a pearl merchant without it. He says, to the ends of the earth and the cost of everything I have, but I must have that. And Jesus was saying that's him and he's coming for you because he won't be God without you. We're, we're bound together, bound. He says like a treasure hidden in a field. Yeah, hidden, dirt, covered. Still a treasure, it doesn't change that. Still the treasure, still holds its value. As the coin that the woman lost, it's lost, it's in the dirt, it's under the sofa. <clears throat> still has the same worth on the face just pull it out and anyone in town will recognize it's good tender it's worse do you understand that see we've been we've been taught that you've lost your whether you're, you're nothing you're just a son of satan i don't know what kind of god you worship well i do because i used to be part of that but yeah we we don't think of the majesty of God's love. We don't think of the power of God's love, the energy of love that draws us to himself. Well, I had to say that because these texts in the Psalms that we've been reading, Psalm 8, Psalm 144, they were not written before Adam fell. They were written long after Adam fell. But it was still true. He says, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter how deep your darkness. What is man? That you remember us? Yes. Do you get it? As deep in the darkness as you are, he remembers you from before creation. You are one of the chosen. You're face to face with him, though you're in deep darkness. He's not. Ever thought about that? Ever thought that love is inspecting you to do you good? Knowing you intimately, personally? It says that we are of such worth, we're worth saving. And of course... That's what the incarnation is. Jesus was chosen to be the incarnate God, the God who became us. You see, he had involvement with every one of us in that he held every atom of our being together as creator. But now the creator is going to become one of his creation. That's the difference. This is organic union. This is not simply the personal force that holds us together. This is God becoming one of us who could sit in this circle here and you would think he's a visitor to Bandera. He became one of us. One of us. Well, I guess, ah, now I, I know God loves me. He came looking for me. No. The incarnation doesn't make it God loves you. The incarnation reveals to you that he always has. There's a big difference. When they come through the wilderness looking for you in the Colorado mountains, 
it doesn't mean that somebody started loving you. It means that you were loved and now this is revealing just how much you were loved. That's the incarnation. It reveals that God stands by his choice. He hasn't blinked. It reveals that he didn't recognize your decision. That his decision holds true. He has come looking for that which is his. The shepherd goes looking for my sheep. He didn't go hunting wild goats. He went for a sheep that did not belong in the wilderness because it belonged to the shepherd. So that's why the shepherd came looking. As with the coin, as with the son, Jesus is the shepherd who comes into this wilderness and joins the sheep at its worst and says, you're mine. I've come to get you. I've come to remind you, sheep, who you truly are, not who you think you are. came inside our darkness. That's, that's the meaning of the cross. That's the meaning. He put himself into the hands of wicked men and let us do with him all we wanted. Kill him. And he did that in order to get inside our darkness. He comes as one of us inside our darkness, yet he is God the Son. Yet he is the light, for he is God the Son joined to human. And in the middle of death, in the middle of our darkness, in the middle, yes, of the hell we've created, he turns on the lights and he reveals who he is. And he reveals that the Holy Trinity is love. And though this is the worst, man now would kill God. And he says, but Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's what we love. We love you. And here, I am joined one with you and now joined in my humanity to you at your worst. And I love you. And I'm sticking with you. I'm not letting go. I'm declaring you forgiven and carrying you to the Father. Because that was the plan. And then the same Holy Spirit upon him he shares with us. So that you, right at this microsecond, have the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, which is the same Spirit that is upon Jesus, Son of God. He opens our eyes to see who we really are, to see through the darkness and the lies and to know. Or as Jesus said, in that day, that day is when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, awakens us to God's decision about us. Now, this is where some of you got, well, I wouldn't say mad with me, but you sure got questions. When I said what I said about, you know, put up your hand and make a decision for Christ. We've got it backwards, you see. If you're going to put up your hand, it would be, yippee, I found out his decision for me. You get it? I found out he's accepted me. Did you hear that? 
He's accepted me. I'm included. It's not your decision unless you want to make a decision um, to accept your acceptance, a decision to settle down into your having been chosen. You get it? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. This is the gospel. It's the gospel that began before the foundation of the world that now has been realized in Jesus. And he said, it's finished. Everything that was decided is now accomplished. I have come where mankind is into his darkness and I brought him to where love had always planned and purposed. It is so. Okay. What's your take on it? That Jesus did something for you on the cross. Call it salvation. He did it for you, but he said it's finished, but really he shouldn't have said that because (laughs) there it is, still hanging. I mean, you're still, yeah. And, And then I guess if you listen carefully behind the cross, the father and son are looking very nervous. And, and and the son says to the father, you know, I really did my best. Uh, and I guess now it's up to them. I don't know if anything's going to be done. Because whoever does the deciding around here, that's the most important. And if it's your decision that is going to make all this happen, then you're back to the Garden of Eden where decisions were made that would override God. So I decided not to have God in my life. I'm very important. I made that big decision. And God had to listen, of course. And now, I tell you, I'm going to make, I, I decide to let him in. I'll, I'll open the door and let him in. He's not, this isn't God's domain. This is my domain. I'm going to let him in. It's no wonder people go forward and try and get saved every week because you try and make that work. But if I know he made the decision before I was born that I entered this world included, accepted, chosen, in Christ, then one day the Holy Spirit opens my eyes and, whoa, all of my terrible bondage to trying to get somewhere is over. I'm there. All my trying to be good enough to be included is flushed down the toilet once and for all. And I am included. That's rest. Well, did you have enough faith? No, no, no. It was his faith. I I didn't have a clue about this. His faith has been operative since before the foundation of the world that I I belonged here. So I trusted. I trusted Jesus that he meant what he said. I don't have to try and have faith. But did you did you repent enough? No. No, because it was the opening of my eyes by the Holy Spirit that I was already included into Christ that radically changed my mind. Changed my mind about who God is and immediately then changed my mind about who I am. 
And that, of course, as most of you know, is the real meaning of the word metanoia. Not re- that's a bad, what well, is a wicked translation. The, the translation should be a radical exchange of mind. Yes, my mind was exchanged. My mind that saw myself as some hopeless sinner, disconnected from God, separated, damned and doomed by a God who only wanted to judge me. Wow. I exchanged that mind for the mind of the God who passionately loved. Changed my mind to the God who became flesh, became organically one with me, that I might become organically one with him in fact and truth realized. Yes, that's salvation and that's rest. And so someone says, well, are you saying I'm not saved? No, you missed the point. It's not destination, remember? You are beloved of God. You're held in his arms face to face with the Father. You just don't know it yet. We're not trying to get to a destination. The Holy Spirit's awakening you to a relationship that brings rest and peace and joy, which is of God, God's peace and joy, so that you ah, wake up and realize you're a son of God. You're inside the family of deity, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And you're there because love chose to put you there. And love chose to put you there by including you inside of Christ, who is love. And he then came to the bottom of the pit to actualize that and carry you to the Father. That's rest. That's peace. And incidentally, though I'm not going to talk about it, but does that ever change your mind about other people? There's no us and them. Because I recognize whatever I see, I've only seen who you already are too. So I can't put you down. I can't raise barriers. I can't say you're them, you can't come here. I just realized the Holy Spirit is working in you to open your eyes as he's opened my eyes and he's opening my eyes. There's nothing ordinary about any human being for we were all in that counsel, that plan, that purpose in Christ from before time. You could say that mankind is one glorious burning bush. We're all radiating the glory of God without realizing who we are. So, go look in the mirror. Ask yourself, what is man? What is Sherry? What is Andrew? Who on earth am I that you would remember me? That... that that you would inspect my life in love for my good, that you would weave a plan and a purpose for me, that you would know me so that for me to live is Christ. Then you'll understand what the psalmist were getting at. Okay? Father, we thank you for this reality. 
And now I bless every hearer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that we shall not be hearers of the word only, but having seen in the mirror our genesis, our origins, shall never forget, but shall sink down to rest in Christ who is the plan. We commend ourselves to you in this incoming week that every day shall be a further understanding of your magnificence seen and known in us. That's the way it is.